Well, good morning. Man, doesn't the weather, I mean, does the weather this past week get any better than this? I mean, we were with my uh, wife's sister and brother-in-law, came down from Monroe, Michigan, went out to eat Monday night, and Monday night while we're sitting there eating, just having a great time, Monroe, Michigan set a record of all time, as long as they've been keeping record of the amount of snow and cold weather in one season. And I don't know if you heard about it, but everybody for the month of February and March have set a record of cold weather except for us here in South Florida. So aren't you excited that God has placed you in South Florida? Right? Isn't it awesome to live here? It is so awesome. Now, did you hear about the little bird that was tired about living up north? He was tired of the snow, tired of the weather, so he decides to fly down a little early for spring in South Florida. So he leaves, he takes off, and he hits one of those, what do they call those polar vortexes? snowstorm you know and all of a sudden he's flying and the snow hits him you know and then the snow you know turns into water and it freezes and he can't fly and he crashes boom in this pasture and he's there and he's encased in ice you know and he he's standing up and he's shivering and he's thinking this is it I guess that's how birds talk you know this is it I'm gonna die he thinks it's the end of it all you know he's just frozen and sure enough I stand there it couldn't get any worse and he sees this cow coming right at him is gonna step on him you know and he stands there and the pal passes over him and then all of a sudden that's exactly right he lets loose and all of a sudden the sweet little bird is now covered in manure and, um, and now he's really getting panicky and getting upset. What's he going to do? He's going to die, you know, covered in manure, frozen to death. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure, he begins to move around a little bit. He starts flapping his wings, you know, and he, he starts saying, chirp, 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 chirp. I mean, he's just full of joy. Chirp, 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 chirp. He's going to live, you know, chirp, 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 chirp. And all of a sudden, a cat heard that chirping noise. He comes over to checks it out, and he digs him out, and he eats him. Sorry, bird lovers. And maybe that's the way some of you feel. You know, you're here down in, in sunny South Florida, man, and it's good, but right when it seems like it's good, right when the economy seems like it's getting better, maybe the bottom has fallen out in your life, and you're up to your ears in manure, and someone's trying to eat you. Last week we found out that someone really is trying to eat you, Peter talked about it. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Peter said this. Peter warns us. He says, stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around. You know what I need to do? I need to move that mic. Can I move that? That's bothering me. I don't know if it's bothering you, but it bothers me. So I'm going to move it. And by the way, guys, you did a great job. Don't take offense to that. You know what? Wasn't an incredible service this morning? On a scale of 0 to 5, it was a 10. You know, it was a 10. So... Thank you, guys. I'm just a little OCD, so, you know, and John's got his little cheat sheet up here. Do you realize John has a cheat sheet? That's bothering me, too, so let's put that over here, you know. And now I told on John. I, I apologize, John. But uh, where were we? Who knows? Okay, yes, about the devil, you know, seeking to distract us. That's what we're talking about, right? Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the who? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to sift like wheat. Peter knew all about it. Someone to devour him. Now, back to our dearly departed little bird. I know it was a gross story, but there was a moral to the story. The moral is not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Isn't that a great moral? 
The moral is not everyone who digs you out of manure is your friend. Think about that. And moral number three is when you're in manure, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. And with all the manure, with all the crap in your life, you might be tempted, like the Apostle Peter, to wonder and think, you know, does God really care? Is God aware? Does God know what he's doing? Is he cognizant of all the CRAP that's going on in my life? And we find ourselves asking the why question. Why me? Why now? Why this, God? And we ask the, you know, the the who question. Who is doing this? Who is up to this? Who's causing this to happen? And we looked at a fascinating passage of Scripture last week, found over in Luke chapter 22, where the Scriptures kind of help us understand the why and the who. Let's read it together. Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, what's the word? Demanded to have you, just like Satan demanded to have Job. Satan demanded to have Peter, that he might sift you like wheat, might toss him up, might grind him down, might get him discouraged and cause him to quit his faith. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus told Peter that he was going to be sifted that he was going to deny him three times. But Peter didn't listen. Peter's just like you and I. He's kind of stubborn and self-willed and full of himself. And he doesn't listen. And sure enough, what does he do? He denies Christ three times. He curses his name. He told Jesus, there's no way in hell I will deny you. And then he curses the name of Jesus. And he denies him three times. And we're told in Scripture, as he denied him the third time, he caught the eye of Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. You know, I I love that story because in that story, we see that an event can be both certain and free. I mean, Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me, buddy, three times. It was certain. Jesus said it. But yet, Peter, in his own volition, in his own will, denied Christ three times and after he denied him he felt terrible he was grieved he cried he was devastated over his sin he was devastated over his pride he was devastated over his self-reliance he thought he was so strong he thought he was so loyal he's broken see sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. Peter realized that. Later that day, Jesus is being crucified, and, and Peter looks on from a distance, and, and I'm sure he's wondering again, does God know what he's doing? I mean, how could something good come out of a Roman scourging and a Roman crucifixion? I mean, even Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. What do you do? How do we find God in our darkest hour? How do we find God in our darkest day? How do we find God in our darkest week, in our darkest month, maybe the darkest year of your life? How do we find God? Well, we learned last week that God will not do something through you until you allow God to do something in you. Can we say that together? God will not do something through you until you allow him to do something in you. 
Now, did we all do that together? I, I didn't hear some of you. Let's say it one more time. God will not do something through you until you first allow him to do something in you. And I find out usually when you don't participate is because I mix it up and you can't follow along with me. So I, I apologize. For, I am aware of that, but I, I, I don't realize it until I, we say it again. And then I realize I screwed that up, didn't I? Um, and I'm good at that. Now, the problem with most of us is we're not allowing God to do something in us. We think, we kind of live like we're Superman or Wonder Woman. You know, I can do this, I can, I can handle it, you know, it's no big deal. We're kind of like Muhammad Ali boarding an airline, getting ready for departure. The flight attendant comes up to him and says, excuse me, sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali says, my name is Muhammad Ali. I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. I'm Superman, and Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, I'm sorry, sir, but FA or FAC or whatever it's called, regulations require for you to put on a seatbelt. He said, my name is Muhammad Ali, and I am Superman, and Superman don't need no seatbelt. So she left and found her supervisor, kind of explained to the supervisor the situation. Supervisor said, listen, I'll take care of it. So the supervisor goes over to him and says, sir, you need to buckle up. He says, ma'am, I'm Muhammad Ali, and I'm Superman, and Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked at him and smiled, sir, and Superman don't need no plane either. So buckle up. Buckle up. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not Superman, and we need to buckle up. We need to buckle up. We need to give ourselves to the, to the uh, sifting process. I readily admit that I'm no Superman, but too often I try to live like one, like I'm invincible, like I can jump small buildings. I'm just like Peter. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'm with you until the end. I need to be sifted of my pride and my self-reliance. You see, real strength comes when we're sifted. I encourage you to write that down. Real strength comes when we're sifted. It makes us strong. You see, we need to embrace the sifting process. We need to embrace it because the sifting process prepares us for our future. God is a good God, and he even uses the evil, the pain, the manure in our life for our good if we will embrace him, if we will embrace it. But the problem is, we're not embracing it. We're not embracing Him. We're living lives in our own strength. So when we're sifted, three things we need to do. Number one is this, we need to uh, humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. Now I don't know if you've ever been humbled by God. And I have, and it's really not fun. And kind of like, you know, God gives us a choice just like he did Peter here. We can choose to humble ourselves or he will humble us, you know, for us. And I would always pick door number one rather than door number two. Do you know how to humble yourself? Do you know how to give others around you the credit for what you do? Do you know how to edge out your ego and your pride? Can you say those words, I'm wrong, I was sorry? Or does those words kind of get stuck on the roof of your mouth like peanut butter? James reminds us, James said this, the half-brother of Jesus, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Can we read that verse together? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, James says here, humility is the only path to receiving grace and strength. Humility is the only path to receiving God's grace and God's strength. we got to humble ourselves. God's strength is perfected in us when we humble ourselves. I mean, this is exactly what happened to the Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul, when he was sifted. We read in Corinthians, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming, what's the word? Proud. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to sift me. And keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Take the sifting away. Take the pain. Take the thorn away. I begged the Lord. Each time he said, listen to this. My grace is all you need. It's not the answer you really want, is it? My grace is all you need. My power works best. Paul, in weakness. So now Paul says, listen to this. So now... I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take, what's the word? Paul says, get this, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults. I take pleasure in the hardships and the persecutions. I take pleasure in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you taking pleasure in the hardships, in the troubles of your life? I know that's counterintuitive. I know that's counterculture. But as a Christian, as a Christ follower, in our weaknesses, we are strong. God wants to do something through you. But God can't do something through you until you allow him to do something in you. And sometimes you just don't realize that Jesus is all you need and that Jesus is all you got. In that weakness, we are strong. In that weakness, we find God's grace. We find God's strength. King David learned this. He was running from his enemies and he said this in Psalms. He said, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord and he answered me. David learned that when you're being sifted, the best thing you can do is to humble yourself and just to cry out to the Lord. Don't blame everybody else. Don't play the victim card. Don't make excuses. Don't just try harder and just suck it up. That's what most of us try to do, right? Don't pretend. We need to humble ourselves and cry out to God for help. When was the last time that you did just that? Maybe you need to go home today like Peter, Paul, and David and just humble yourself and cry out to God for help. Let Him give you His strength to help you through the CRAP that's in your life. You know, during the darkest days of my life, that's what I do. That's just what I do. I just cry out to God. And sometimes we don't know that Jesus is all we need and to Jesus is all we got. Come to the end of your rope before you come to the end of your rope. Humble yourself. Cry out to God 
for help. Wayne Cardulo, or Cadero, in his book, he said, man, I, when, I, he said I, when I used to pray, I used to pray, I'm going to live for God. He says, now I pray, God, come live through me. I used to pray, I'm going to work for God. Now I pray, God, come do your work through me. I used to pray, I'm going to serve you, God. Now I pray, God, please come and serve through me. When you're sifted, we need to humble ourselves. And then when we're sifted, we need to discipline ourselves. Paul's talking to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and he's talking about being sifted in tough times, and he tells him this. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Can we read that together? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, the Greek word here for discipline comes from the Greek verb uh, gymnazo, 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 um, which we get our English word gymnasium. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to get to the gym, Timothy. Spiritually speaking, you need to get into the gym. You need to work out. Now, the word here, discipline, uh, gymnazo, it literally means to exercise naked. That's what it means. And I'm not encouraging you to do that literally, but that's, what it, that's what exactly what it means. And you're probably aware that the ancient Greek Olympians, when they would uh, perform and when they would train, they would do it in the buff. Now, don't go there with your mind. You can Google it later, but that's exactly what they did. Now, that might better help you understand what Paul meant in Hebrews chapter 12 when he told the Christian Hebrews this in verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses, and he's referring back to chapter 11, he, he talked about the great men and women of faith who've gone before us. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by these huge, you know, these huge rock stars of faith, and they prayed for us, he says, now let us, what's the word? Strip off. Let us discipline. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race, and underline this, God has set before us. You see, this morning, God has might have set before you the race of cancer or the race of mental illness or the race of a, 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 of a bad marriage, or rebellious kids. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And how do we run that race? Well, number one, we need to lay aside every sin. You see, it's the small things in life that keep us from godliness. It's the small things in life that keeps us from the big things in life. The small disciplines can make the biggest difference. It's called cascading. It's called the keystone effect. We're going to be talking more about this in two weeks as we kind of get ready for Easter. And the importance of the daily disciplines of life and those little small disciplines can have a huge, profound effect on your life. And I would really encourage every single one of you to buy that journey journal and for 50 days to join us in 50 days of transformation. And really changing our thinking, which changes and transforms our minds and our lives in so many ways. It's the small things, the small disciplines that can make the biggest difference. See, the, the path to public success is always paid with private disciplines. The great, I don't know, how about the Gators, man? You know, and phenomenal. You take, and, you know, and the heat right now, and you take Dwayne Wade. These guys are so great in public because of the small daily disciplines in private 
They discipline themselves for greatness. And we are what we repetitively, repeatedly do. We need to lay aside every weight, every piece of clothing that slows us down. You see, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. And choosing to do what you want most rather than what you want now. We must first We must do first what matters most. We need to lay aside every sin that slows us down. You see, most of our problems stem from our inability to say no. To say no. No to sin. And because we don't say no, we find ourselves overcommitted. We find ourselves overweight. We find ourselves out of shape. We find ourselves frustrated because we lack the discipline to say no. The truth is, we do what we choose to do. We need to put first things first by saying no, by saying no to sin, by laying aside every weight, every piece of clothing that's keeping us from what matters most. And what matters most, Paul told Timothy, it's godliness, it's Christ-likeness. So we need to lay aside. And I'm telling you, when you're being sifted, Your sins come to the surface. You begin to see yourself. You see your struggle. You see your attitude. You see your lack of faith. And so you need to come clean. So we need to see that sin. Call it a sin. Name it a sin. We need to lay it aside. And then number two, we need to look to Jesus. Look at verse two. How do we continue this race with endurance? Verse two says, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? The champion who initiated, he he started our faith, he sovereignly has brought us to himself, he initiates our faith, and he perfects our faith. When you look to Jesus, we do what is right over what is easy. We discipline ourselves towards godliness. When we look to Jesus, we do first what matters most. We discipline ourselves towards godliness. When we look to Jesus, we humble ourselves And we discipline ourselves towards godliness. Sometimes we don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And God uses Satan, even the evil one himself, to sift us, to move us forward towards what matters most in your life. Godliness, if you're a Christian. Christ-likeness. You see, Jesus in me is stronger than the wrong appetites in me. And, by, and the path of public success is always paid with private disciplines. So we got to go to work on the things that are unseen because they directly affect every area of our lives. We need to go to work on the, what's called the spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks starting on Easter. All right? So the path to public success is always paid with private disciplines. So when we're sifted, we need to humble ourselves. Number two, we need to do what? Discipline ourselves. And number three, we need to encourage ourselves. When we find ourselves in manure, we need to learn how to encourage ourselves. David found himself in a very difficult time in his life. I mean, he knew what it was like to be sifted. He stood before a giant by the name of Goliath. He later was hunted down like a dog by King Saul. And because of the pressure and the stress in his life, he ends up leaving the nation of Israel and joining up with the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemy of Israel, their greatest adversary. And he joins them. 
1 Samuel 21.7, it says this, Then David said in his heart, get what's going on here, this is one of the, the low points in David's life, David began to say in his heart, Now I should perish one day by the hand of Saul. He's losing hope. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. David's beginning to doubt. He's beginning to lose his faith. So he takes himself and his 60 mighty men and all his women and children and they leave Israel and they're living in the hill countries with the Philistines now. And they're going off with the, with the Philistines as warriors and raiding different small towns and communities. And one time while David and his mighty men are gone, the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel, they come into their town, David's town, and they burn it down and they take captive all the women and children and these soldiers show back up from battle. And their, their homes have been desolated. David's family is gone. David's men become very distraught. They become angry with him. And they begin to turn on him. Nothing worse for a leader than when your, your people you're leading turn on you. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 says this. And David was greatly, what's the word? Greatly what? He was greatly distressed, all right? This is pretty serious stuff. He's greatly distressed. And the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bittered in soul, each, of his, each for his, his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Do you know how to encourage yourself? Have you been forgotten lately? Perhaps it was your birthday came and went and no one remembered it. Maybe you got looked over on a group email or maybe there was a party that was going on and you weren't invited to it. Or maybe you laid in the hospital and, and nobody came by and saw you and visited you. Sometimes we all feel forgotten. No one there to encourage us. No one there to pray for us. No one there to lift our spirits. What do we do? Well, what we often do, we start blaming others, right? We blame them for their lack of sensitivity. We blame others rather than learning the art of encouraging ourselves. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David did this a lot. He kind of counseled himself. Psalms 42.11 says this. David says, why am I discouraged? Why is, why, why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. Man, I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. David learned not to listen to himself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But to talk to himself. I will put my hope, I will put my faith in God. I will praise him. As an act of my will, I will praise him again and again. And I have learned not to listen to myself, but to talk to myself any great marathon runner they learn not to listen to themselves because you know about 18 miles in they want to quit they want to give up the body is telling them stop and they learn not to listen to themselves but to talk to themselves our feelings our thoughts they lie to us all the time i woke up this morning I didn't feel like going to church. I just wanted to sleep in. I called my mom. I said, Mom, I don't feel like going to church. She said, Son, you need to go to church. You're the pastor. <laughs> I said, Okay, Mom. But we live in a culture today that thinks if we feel something, it is what? 
It's true. You know, you got to do what you feel. And if you feel something, it's true. We live in a culture that listens and believes to what they feel. And everybody is depressed and medicated. And I'm not giving, I'm not trying to put a bad spin on medicine. But that's what we've done as a culture. We listen to our feelings all the time, and our feelings become God. Yeah, answer that. And we're depressed, and we're medicated. We're the most medicated generation ever. Feelings lie to us all the time. I would rather put my faith and trust in a God who doesn't lie than in my feelings that lie to us all the time. I have learned not to listen to myself, but to talk to myself. Can you say that with me? I have learned not to listen to myself, but to talk to myself. I want every single one of you to say it with me. I have learned not to listen to myself, but to talk to myself. Now say it like you really mean it. Say it like you really mean it. I have learned not to listen to myself, but to talk to myself. I have learned to encourage myself in the Lord. And sometimes you just don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. And when you're being sifted, we don't know what in the heck's going on. We need to humble ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves. We need to encourage ourselves. We just need to cry out to God for help. A biblical response to disappointment of life is to lament. A biblical response to unanswered prayer is to lament. A biblical response to pain and suffering and unresolved conflict is to lament. It's to cry out to God for help, to honestly pour out your heart to God. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lamented. He expressed his feelings to God. That's what Peter did. Peter denied Christ, and he lamented. He repented. He expressed his feelings to God. That's what Job did. Job lost it all. He was sifted by Satan. He couldn't figure out what in the heck was going on. And God shows up, and, and God doesn't take away his pain. God doesn't rescue Job. God just sits there on the scene there and just listens to Job, and Job just laments. He just goes off. He just listens some of the things that we need to do more often when we have a friend that's being sifted, we just sometimes just need to shut up and just listen. And then at the right time, God just gently points Job to the realities of life. He basically says, hey, Job, by the way, you're a man. And by the way, I'm God. And the question isn't, why is this happening or who's doing this? The question is, Job, will you trust me in it? Will you trust me? And that's your question this morning. In the midst of the manure in your life, God is asking you, will you trust me? Will you put your faith in me? Will you find me? By humbling yourself and disciplining yourself and encouraging yourself. Because Jesus, sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need and to Jesus is all you have. Can we pray? Maybe this morning you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Right now you need to put your faith in him to save you. Right now you need to pray and say, God, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son 
to die for my sins. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. I humble myself and I invite Christ to come into my life and to save me. Now some of you this morning, you've been going through some really dark days. And you need to lament. You need to get real with God. You need to admit that you're not God, that you're not Superman. You need to humble yourself and ask God to help you. Others of you, you need to discipline yourself towards godliness. You need to ask God to help you to lay aside every sin and to really look to Jesus Christ for his grace and his strength. Some of you need to pray this morning and say, God, help me not to listen to myself, but God, help me to talk to myself. Can you pray that right now? God, help me to quit listening to all the negativity, all the talk shows, all the CRAP that's out there. God, help me to quit listening to myself, but help me, God, to start talking to myself. Help me to encourage myself. Help me to remind myself and to put my hope in you. Put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never disappoint you. Jesus, this morning, we put our faith, we put our trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.